Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from at Timely underscore moments. Right guys, um, as you can tell I'm clearly um, had the ability to record a little bit more frequently. Uh, This is because as you are well aware that I'm actually on leave which is really good. Um, Finished my course um, as you had heard in my last couple of episodes and I am hoping that the current battle rhythm as it were for uh, episode releases and recordings will continue. However I do have another course coming up it's not going to be as long um, but it will affect potentially the next couple of releases but we'll just kind of have to play that by ear but again um, I'm pleased with how the podcast releases have been coming um, since the ending of the uh, photography course. Um, I hope you enjoyed the last episode. The last episode obviously was a, a part of a beginning series looking at independence and micro brands with Mark over at Jana Watch. Um, the next episode for that will be recorded uh, soon and then obviously be released um, later on um, in the month, um, maybe looking into next month on, on that release. But effectively, we're going to highlight a couple more um, independent brands e- um, e- each, um, as it were, um, and hopefully bring those brands to the forefront uh, on your radar if you're looking for a new for a new watch in the near future. Um, this episode, however, is taking a different spin. Um, I have managed to reach out to um, a different company uh, to talk about vintage watches. And as you know, guys, I absolutely love vintage watches. You've heard me harp on about how uh, vintage watches are really good, um, how they're unique and how they're really good value for money and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I thought a really good way to do it is actually get a vintage watch dealer on. Um, So without further ado, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Really happy to be here. I love I love all things watches, but when you throw a military, that's that's just that's my cup of tea. So, um, Nick, uh, a lot of my followers may not be aware of who you are, so I'm going to give you a quick introduction, and then obviously you can elaborate on that. Uh, but before we actually get into that, um, what watch have you got on your wrist today? Sure. Uh, today I have a, a late 1960s, uh, uh, 1969 Benra's DTU T2A forward slash P. Uh, it's, a, it's a long name. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, but that, that's military stuff for you. So this was issued to the U.S. military. It's, uh, it was one of their, one of their more, more uh, lengthy uh, issued watches, and it's built to uh, United States Department of Defense MIL-W-3818 uh, specs. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of similar to the, it's a little bit of a predecessor to the Hamilton, uh, was it the I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have it actually written down here because I always get the 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 uh the numbers mi- mixed up, but it's um is it a GGW one one eight or something like that? Yeah, but it's the uh seven three six seven four, I think. I sorry, it, I, I'm bl- momentarily blanking on that. At any rate, no, it's 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 very you know it's got the 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 uh the matte case on it, so it doesn't mm-hmm. reflect like that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's just spectacular. We'll get into this later, but like it was actually. There's been, there was some interesting research I stumbled upon recently that uh, I, I think it was authoritative that linked this to a watch that was issued to um, CIA forces in uh, MACV SOG during the Vietnam era. 
So we, you know, we can get into that a little bit later, but yeah, that's, that's what I got on my wrist today. Cool. That's a really cool watch. Um, yeah, we're definitely going to hit, um, into a little bit more vintage military, um, as the, as the episode goes on, because mainly that's what we hear. you know, we both like military watches and we both like vintage watches. Um, I've got my only vintage watch with me at the moment. So as you're aware, because obviously we've been messaging now for what, the last 10 days, probably trying to <laughs> tee up timings to get this. So guys, just so you're aware, this episode is being recorded across a 10 hour time difference at the moment. And I'm currently sat in the Mediterranean sun on leave, um, trying to top up my tan. Um, so the only vintage watch that I've actually brought with me um, was my father's uh, Amiga Chronostop from 1969. Um, this is a military watch, in my opinion. Um, guys would have obviously who, who've listened to the podcast since the beginning will know about this watch. But for yourself, Nick, um, I know you're not as au fait with the podcast. Um, my dad actually bought this watch when he was 21 years old. Um, he was currently at the time serving uh, with the Royal Engineers in Germany. Um, and the only reason he bought it was because he was doing core level athletics kind of things. Um, and he needed a stopwatch, basically, to time his to time his interval sprints um and he knew that Amiga were a good brand um and he went and bought a Amiga Chronosoft and that's literally the only reason why he bought it uh he gifted it to me when I was 23 and it took me about two and a bit years to find a decent person who I would trust to effectively fix the watch because uh, my dad being my dad kept it despite the fact that he had broken it um and he gifted me it broken but as all good fathers, he actually paid for the service to get it sorted. So that was always good. Um, what I did find quite funny was the fact that the moment it was serviced and it was working again, he asked for it back. Um, as you can see, he didn't win that argument. Um, but nevertheless, um, it's a really cool watch. And that's how I you know, see it as a bit of a military watch. And it's something that I think we're probably going to talk loosely around today when we talk about vintage watches is I think there's also a difference between military whatever it is, there's a difference between military issued and effectively watches used by military personnel. Um, and I would say that this watch falls under a watch that was used by a military person um, to help him in his career and, you know, to do stuff, um, daily tasks as it were, uh, within his, my father's time in his career. But then, you know, it wasn't a issued W10, for example, which has a different remit. Um, so, yeah, that's why I've got my wrist today. It's it's, um, actually, it's interesting that you um, you bring that up because that's you know we'll talk about this a little bit later so I don't want to get too much into it but like in more recent U.S. military times there's like a lot of a lot of a lot of the forces will in, in all services but usually uh, ground forces will use like the, just your your Seiko SKX and it's not issued it's just because it's a legend you know um, but the uh, it's 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 ironic that you bring up the Chronostop which it has that sixty second you know, mono pusher chronograph on it. We actually just added one in this week's uh, shameless shameless plug here. We actually just added one in this week's uh, vintage drop. But I mean, that's, they're amazing watches. And they originally, Omega um, issued them to be like a driver's watch. And some of them mm -hmm. actually worn with the face down. So yeah. on the bottom of the wrist. So when you're, you know, you're at your stereotypical nine and three o'clock on the steering wheel, you can you can look at it as you're doing your, your zero to 60. Uh, to time yourself so yeah there's a there's a lot of heritage with that watch it's a great watch yeah it's a really cool watch um I'm just like I said obviously I love it for the, for the reason that it was my father's watch and he gifted it to me um and that's really cool but I do like the history behind the chronostop it actually won quite a few awards back in the 60s when it was first released which is quite yeah. cool um guys if you want to go and research the chronostop there's actually a few good videos now on YouTube and I think um and again 
you know, as we go along in this podcast, we're going to talk about vintage watches. And I think actually the personally, not just through owning it, but I also would say just through looking on um, auction sites and online, I actually do think that the Chronostop does have really good value for money if you're in the remit yeah. to look for a vintage yep. watch and you like Amiga and you want something unusual. Um, you know, but yeah, so it's a, it's a cool watch, guys. Um, they appeal to like because there's there was a smaller version that's like 36 37 millimeter and then there was a much larger version that's like 40 which is pretty yeah. big for the era so it runs you know there's a whole there's a whole bunch of different variations it is yeah. definitely a great value proposition for vintage watches yeah it's really cool my one's actually the smaller version and it's not in the driver's configuration that you mentioned earlier um, but yeah, it's a cool watch. It is a white dial, which I like because um, it's unusual for the rest of my collection. A lot of my collection being military watches is black in dial or at least darker dials. Um, so it does stand out. Um, and I kind of use it as a bit of a summary kind of dress watch, hence why I've brought it to Cyprus. That and also I needed to show it to my father because I managed to put it on to an original Amiga deploying buckle now, which I'm actually just showing to Nick. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. Um, so Nick, I first came across your website, um, obviously through the joy of Instagram, uh, so DC Vintage Watches. Um, and then I first heard your actual interviews um, with um, the guys over on Spirit of Time podcast. So um, Greg and Matt. And obviously I think that's kind of like where we kind of like actually finally fell onto each other's yeah. radars. And I really enjoyed the episode. And I was just like, oh, actually, this is a gentleman that I need to speak to. So. Um, Effectively, yeah, you are dealing vintage military watches over in America um, and, you know, clearly have been in this game since, what, last 10 years or so? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a collector, really, since high school in the late 90s, yeah. but um, uh, I founded this business back in the early uh, 2012, I believe. Yeah, mm -hmm. so about a decade, yeah. Yeah, so, um, and then what's really funny is the fact that me and you both have a very similar background as well um we're both uh, previously employed as imagery intelligence analysts which is also i think quite nerdy so so yeah um in terms of vintage watches then and, and obviously your business is there anything you know i mean any intricacies there in terms of like you know how you guys effectively source your watches how you guys go about you know just so you're aware, guys, Nick is joined by his pet German <laughs> Shepherd, and we are a dog-friendly podcast. So if he gets a little bit, uh, if you hear some barking, it's not, it's not me. Um, yeah, he tends to be a bit um, overprotective. He's a German Shepherd, so he, he tends yeah. to be a bit overprotective of uh, of the house. And like, I, there he goes. Yeah, he is. I'm gonna, hold on a second. I'm gonna put him in the back. Come here. Glad to just state that no German shepherds were harmed in the making of this podcast. Um, however, it is the first. Uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. I just, I was just monologuing. I was just saying how no German shepherds were harmed in the making of this podcast. <laughs> however, uh, it was actually the first. We got to episode fifty-seven before we've had any dog interaction. Actually. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So you were saying, what was the question? I'm sorry. So it, it's all right. So, so I just want to know, like, how you guys go about effectively sourcing your watches, um, obviously, and then clearly selling your watches. Do you, you know, yeah. is it just a case of you effectively go off and find vintage watches and then you just put them on the website? Or is there a uh, effectively a way that people can directly, you know, speak to you in order to source a watch, you know? No, that's a it's a great question. And really the answer is all of the above. So it's 
just a little a little back up a second so you know what, what we sell primarily on the website but uh i'd say about 40 to 45 percent maybe a little bit more of our businesses people will reach out directly and they'll be like hey i'm looking for this watch this is what i know about it or like every now and again and this this goes to the uh the imagery uh aspect that that we have talked about i talked about in spirits of time a little bit great guys those two by the way um and that is like here's this picture of my dad here's the watch that he wore i don't know what it is can you help me and it's like, you know, I, I really, you know, as, as you know, as a former imagery analyst yourself or, or one right now, or formerly, you know that there's a lot of that. Here's this fuzzy picture. Let me see, you know, if you're measuring and like here it looks like this and look where this is, like that kind of thing. Um, and that's that our part of our business there. But for us, like, for instance, like we moved from D.C. to L.A. about four years ago. And it's been, I mean, separate from L.A. just being amazing weather, et cetera. Um, when you have this much larger population, there is a massive level of like estate sales and they, like yard sales, whatever you want to call them, they're everywhere. So like literally my wife and I just went to one today. She got mm -hmm. her century modern furniture. <laughs> I actually found a, uh, a women's uh, gold Loris watch. Loris was a mm -hmm. Seiko's brand for yep. like super cheap. And that'll go on the website, you know, I'm going to clean it up and, and it runs, just put a battery in and it ran. So, you know, you have that aspect or you have, we're fortunate in that, you know, we paid a lot of attention to our client base. And, you know, we've been in, we've been published in like GQ. We actually just had a, uh, I just had an interview with the the Hollywood Reporter, which is kind of like the New York Times of the entertainment sector yep. uh, industry, if you will, out here in LA. And so when you build up that brand awareness, we we're lucky that we have people that will reach out directly to us. They'll be like, hey, this is the watch I have for sale. Are you interested? Because they know while, you know, we may not offer as much as they're going to get if they were to sell it, you know, in the private market. We also know that we have a reputation to protect and we're not going to mess around with them. We're like, this is what we can give you. We're not going to like get it and be like, oh, well, there's something wrong with it. I'm not going to give you as much. We're not going to do that, you know? Yeah. So um, we're, we're very fortunate in that. So it's really all the above. I mean, it's, you know, we're, we're going out, we're going to estate sales um you know people write us or you know sometimes you know it's going to be auction sites yeah uh, auction sites tend to be a bit of a minefield unfortunately um so it's like you can use it successfully but really if you know what you're looking for because there's a lot of fake stuff out there have you seen an increase in uh yeah fake watches and franken watches um in a you know in a particular time frame you know what i mean like so for me i've been collecting watches since i was 19 um, and I've seen obviously not just um, fakes in terms of military watches kind of being faked or like, you know, uh, a dodgy engraving being put onto the back or, you know, stuff like that. Or, you know, Franken watches where you can kind of see where hands are different, dials different, cases are different. I've seen that as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think back and think at the beginning of my time where obviously it clearly I knew less as well, but I reached out to forums. I used Instagram. I used, you know, knowledge. I looked, I searched for knowledge where I didn't have any. And I think that must come from the intelligence background in me as well. Or maybe it's just the nerd. Uh, and maybe just the idea that I, if I was going to spend the amount of money on, on a watch, I didn't want to, you know, be stung for that, as you've clearly alluded. But for me, I look back and think that actually a lot of, in terms of military watches now and vintage military, I've not, I hadn't noticed a lot of that kind of faking of watches in terms of them in the first four or five years of my collecting. It's only really been in the last five or so years that I've seen a bigger 
impact where you've got to just be a lot more aware of what you're buying? Is that a trend that you've noticed as well, or has it been going on for longer or, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're spot on. And it really, there's, it's, it's due to a couple of factors. I mean, one, uh, how widespread the internet is now. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, I'll date myself a bit here, but you know, I, I first started collecting in the late nineties and the internet was nowhere near what it is now. So mm-hmm. there's the ease of use and the ease of people trying to make a quick buck um, with, with military watches for the, the, uh, the one I, ish, I talked about earlier is actually the Hamilton 43674. Mm-hmm. You'll see a lot of fakes coming out of Vietnam, ironically yep. enough, um, because that's, that's the era that they were issued to uh, dur- during the U.S. Uh, conflict in, in Vietnam. And though like fake dials, like things like that, it, it really one of the, the main, I'm not going to get into tells too much, but the, one of the main tells actually is like, and it's ironic, but like the fakes look too good. Like yeah. the, the, the triangle indice, indice, you know, they're very sharply defined. The loom is sharply defined on the original. It's actually a little sloppy, which yeah. seems kind of intuitive, but it's, that's the way it, that was the manufacturing abilities in the sixties and seventies when these things came out versus now where it's like everything CAD designed and yeah. On Seiko itself, there is a massive, unfortunate uptick in uh, fakes. Um, and a lot of that is because people are finally gathering, people are finally catching on in the last decade, maybe really the last five years, that there's an amazing value in vintage Seiko from the 60s and 70s and really yep. the 80s. And there are unscrupulous individuals out there trying to take advantage of this. And, you know, a lot of people, particularly on the auction sites like eBay, like they, they I'm, I'm going to. I'll tone my comments down a little bit on eBay, but I do very much get frustrated in that they talk about their authenticity guarantee. Like I had a customer mm-hmm. reach out to me recently and was like, hey, I bought this. It was uh, it was in the ni- early 1970s Seiko 6139, what we call the Pogue. It was yeah, the yeah. gold dial, like the, but this was a true Pogue. So it was even more rare, yeah. very sought after. If you know your, I won't go into the history too much, but you know, this is, uh, what NASA astronaut Colonel Pogue wore to the Skylab 4 mission, the exact dial configuration. And he showed it to me and was like, is it fake? And he actually gave it to his watchmaker and the watchmaker took the dial off and looked at the back. And on the back of these dials, there'll be like a two digit uh, number yeah. um, that shows it's authentic. The fakes will never, the fake dials never have this. It was one of the best fakes I've ever seen, but it was a fake all the same. Mm-hmm. It passed eBay's authenticity program. Wow. And it was and I was just like, ooh, that's, that's that that's sucks, funny. doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so it's it's really in, in a lot of ways, like you know, eBay uses a third party uh, watchmakers to authenticate. So I get it. Some of these some of these fakes are they're really they're really good, and yeah. and you only really started seeing them in the last two or three years as values rapidly started climbing. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but that that's the the world we live in. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Like I said, yeah, like you said earlier, I think like you, said, you just have to know exactly what you're after, uh, yeah. know everything about it, and then, like I said, the the other side of it is is lean on, especially in my experience, is lean on those who know um, when you are unsure. You know, at the end of the day, um, that's the best way, isn't it? You know, and 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 you know, otherwise, be prepared potentially to lose out on. A, quite a chunk of money there you know which is a shame like you said it's 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 unfortunate um to see that this is kind of creeping into um the hobby a lot more you know but there you go it really, it really plays to the old saying like buy the by the seller but also do the research and like yes easy for me to say by the seller because obviously i have a bias here like we're the seller mm-hmm. 
but no, I mean, I would, I would argue, do the research first, ask questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People ask me questions because I love what I do. So do the people I work with, and we're going to answer these questions. Um, you know, and, and to wit, like a lot of people don't have time to do this level of research and to get experts. No. Like we sell to a fair number of, of actors. Um, we've been very fortunate in that. And like they, you know, people are like, oh, well, they're paying extra for these. Of course they are because they don't have, they're busy. They don't have the time to do the research themselves. Some of them ask questions like, like I, I alluded to the, the international or the um, the Hollywood Reporter article we just did. It was on on comedian Ronnie Chiang, and he talks about um, his watch collection in it. But he also, you know, I have I mentioned in the article the the reporter, uh, the journalist for it, interviewed me. I have this long running, very dorky and esoteric conversation chain via um, you know DMs about the six one three nine. He's asking all these questions about this black dial Bruce Lee variant, and that he, I, I love that conversation. Like it was like. You know, just you know, if you're passionate about what you do, then yeah. yeah. Well, so, passion breeds passion, doesn't it? And you know, if it people are interested, you know, it's it rubs off on you, and that, that, I think that's yeah, a, for a, sure. And I find actually, um, when I look at well, I look at the whole watch hobby, especially like in our area of it, in like the wider sense of actually being in that hashtag watch fam, I do find that that passion rubs off, be that about, I don't know, uh, modern Amiga, right through to, like you said, vintage Seiko, to military watches, to semi-precious dress watches. You know, some people get like really in-depth on it. And I think it's great to see, you know, it shows you that actually no matter where you want to be within the watch space, there is something for you. Uh, which is really cool. And I think you just have to carve your niche, don't you, really, and what you want to do. Um, in terms of um, some of the brands that obviously we want to talk about today, obviously we've mentioned, so we're going to, we've mentioned Seiko, we've mentioned Domiga, um, and then like stuff like Hoyer and various military watches. I'm going to kick it off with Seiko because obviously, you know, there's a lot of Seiko on, on your website at the moment. And obviously you've, you, you know, you alluded to that you first started collecting with Seiko watches. So what was your actual first Seiko watch? Do you remember it or do you still have I, it? I Actually, it was, um, it was a 6139, what, what is nicknamed the Sievert, which is uh, nicknamed after uh, the, the ill-fated Formula One driver, Francois Sievert. Uh, I don't know French, so I'm gonna slaughter his name clearly. French speakers, I apologize. Um, but uh, it was at the dark blue, almost black dial. And it's ironic uh, because the Pogue is actually a very good seller for us. I actually originally didn't like them too much. I thought they were too garish. And then, they are very garish. <laughs> well, for military standards, yeah, especially. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to wear something like that for anything military related. But we, as we started, really, they got really popular. There was some intrepid researchers, much like you and I, that reached out to uh, Colonel Pogue and was like, hey, we understand from these pictures. And they attached the pictures in an email, like, mm. you wore this watch. Actually, I think they wrote him a letter, actually. And he wrote back and he confirmed it. He gave pictures of his watch. And like it was when that became established that that was a legit space watch, people understandably lost their minds. And yeah. we started selling a lot of those. And the more I handled, the more I was like, this is really growing on me. I really like this mm. watch. Yeah. Um, it was a Seaver, although the Pope tends to be many people's first watch. The 6139 reference series from the late 60s uh, throughout, the, throughout the 1979 is a, is a very popular first watch for people uh, by Seiko. Yeah. Um, but it, it so it was that that was that was really that was the bug for me and that that was in high school and it just kind of went crazy since then yeah. uh, thankfully i have this business um as i we talked about before i found it in 2012 uh primarily it's vintage seiko but it's also uh omega i'm noticing the, the difference in pronunciation between you and i <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
to the to the uh the british uh yeah um english but um and also the hoyer um uh, and it's usually 60s 70s and 80s mm-hmm. we're starting to edge into the 90s because it's, yeah. it's a sliding spectrum what is considered vintage obviously and it makes me feel old but it is all the same yeah uh, it pains me it pains me my uh my the younger generations in my family have started to say that i'm considered vintage which is horrendous oh, yeah, you know sure. um yeah. but um that's really cool that that was your first seiko um i've never actually owned a seiko um mechanical chronograph just so you're aware and i very rarely come into um even handling them um a friend of mine uh, i mean we'll have to talk <laughs> offline it's fine um, a friend, a friend of mine, you like this. I've got um, a story for you. I was he. Um, I regularly speak to him uh, within the watch group chats that we've got, um, and he was actually an earlier guest on my on the podcast. And he's got a really cool Jap- um, effective Japanese Air Force Seiko chronograph. Uh, I believe it is a six one three nine variant, uh, but it's one that is issued or was issued to the Japanese Air Self Defense Force, and it's got the Japanese Air Self Defense Force wings on it. Uh, which is really cool. So um, that's one of the cooler ones that I've ever seen. Um, I don't know how rare they are. I don't know how often those things come up. But from from what he was saying, you know, he took a long time to again pull the trigger on one of those and uh, you know do the prerequisite research. But again, that just sounds like something cool, you know, to have one of those. Yeah. No. And and they are actually incredibly rare. Um, I think they made them for all of two years, and this is the um, the six one three nine seventy ten dash seventy ten, and on the back it'll have like it, it'll have um, inscriptions in kanji Japanese, and they issued them to not only the um, the Japanese Air Self Defense Force, but also the Japanese Maritime Self Defense Force, and mm-hmm. the, the latter and even fewer numbers. They're very rare. Like it's actually been on my grail list for mm. probably a decade. Really. They, very infrequently um it's it's one of those i'm su- i'm actually kind of surprised no one has asked us to source one uh mm. because we tend to get a lot of very rare watch source requests um but that hasn't happened yet and i'm actually kind of hoping it won't until i find one for myself <laughs> you know if someone asks me to source it, it's going to go to them first but i'm going to be like ah you know but no they're they're um the the dial itself on this watch is rare for seiko in that it is it's arabic numerals and they're not a lot of and we'll talk about this later when we talk about the uh the the vietnam era um uh sog watches but um it's it's rare to have arabic numerals on these dials mm. they came in like a black dial but also like yeah. a silver yeah. dial variant like a gray ish mm. Actually, I have both, but they're not the 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 uh, the Japanese Self Defense Force issued. Um, but if I find them, uh, you know, I'm going to sell mine immediately to help fund yeah, yeah, know, yeah. these other ones. But okay. uh, they're, they're super cool watches. Like I I'm, I very much am looking forward to getting one. But you know, I I if you don't mind, like I I can use this as a nice segue into the um the 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 Military Assistance Command Vietnam Special Operations Group, the Mac V Sog watches. Yep. Um, and these, it's interesting because the watches themselves that I'm about to talk about, when they came out from Seiko, they were actually very economical. We're talking like $50. They were quite inexpensive, but they featured, you know, very robust Seiko movements. There was either, there was three of them. It was the 6119, the 6619, and the 7005 movements, all automatic movements in them. But all of them shared the same black dial, uh, Arabic, Arabic numerals on the dial. Um, 
and really the and I as, as we talked about I just was able to find this book it took me a while to find and it was not cheap um, it's not a cheap book yet, uh, in right. any way shape or form i'm not gonna lie i was happy that i was able to talk the guy down to 200 bucks and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. but it's, it's like these books. It, it was done by you know clearly it was done by you know the, the guy i can't remember the guy who wrote it but clearly you know it was uh, one of those frank rico, frank rico was the name. and the name and of the it, book is, is running recon and obviously your viewers or your, your listeners can't see it but i'm showing you and i just got it three days ago and nice. it's, it's like this thick book. It's like about 400 pages. And the, the gentleman that wrote it was um, a part of McVeigh's SOG. And he, he did a lot of what we call LLRPs or long range reconnaissance patrols um, during Vietnam. But also, but he's not only in Vietnam, but he was also running into like Cambodia, Laos, such places we weren't supposed to be basically yeah. uh, to, to hit the Viet Cong where they were based. And in it, he talks about the gear that they were kitted out with, and this gave the definitive proof. He shows pictures of these Seiko watches because the idea was, you, you want non non attribution. You don't want uh, people link. You want a, a non American brand, um, but also functional, yeah. um, in case you're captured. You know, yeah. you, you, it's all about the the non attribution here. Um, so these things, you know, just have increased massively in. Um, in price, unfortunately, yeah. we're looking for a, a uh, actually, we just sourced a 6119 recently for a customer. Uh, we're going to give it to the watch. I'm going to give it to the watchmakers. It needs to be serviced, but it's it's a fantastic example. But, you know, these things, when I started collecting them were a couple hundred bucks and now yeah. six, I'd say this, the, uh, the, the 6119 variant is the more common of the three and they trend for over a thousand now, a thousand dollars plus. Uh, the 7,005 is by far the most rare. Mm -hmm. I've seen many examples go for a couple thousand, which is, again, right. crazy. Because a 7,005, depending on condition, a couple hundred bucks, 300 yeah. bucks maybe. Uh, for the non, you know, Mac The standard software. one, yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, um, it's so going to hurt you because obviously, as you're aware, I, I, I'm very fortunate to have all three um, uh, in my collection. Uh, um, I can, we, we can talk about it. So uh, I am. Um, I, I literally fell onto these watches not as i said it took me about three years effectively to get all of them and a lot of um persuasion for one individual to sell me one um but it was interesting because the first time i remember the first time i saw one and i genuinely didn't think much of it at the time because again you look at these and this is again, that's the it, idea that's, right that's yeah, the idea. Idea. you look at it and you don't <laughs> think much of it and you know, you think, oh, it's just a Seiko watch and it's just effectively what could have been a, a bit of a dress watch. You know, it's not, they're not anything special. The Seiko 5 line is, a, like you said, a very economical, affordable watch line. Um, and they're incredible watches because like you said, you can buy yeah. a vintage one now, you can buy a modern one. And you know that actually if you, to be honest, and let's be honest, how many people probably service them? Probably not many. Um, I, but, I will say the interrupt real quick, like all three of those calibers, Non-Mac VSOG, are, I would recommend them all day, every day. If you want yeah. a vintage automatic watch for a low price point, like I said, two to four hundred dollars, depending on on condition, yeah. inclusion of price and all that. Great value. Go yeah, on, sorry. Exactly. You know, but like in terms of like just the um, economies of scales in terms of the fact that these things run for years. You know, like you said, they got bulletproof movements in them for want of a better expression. You, they're easily fixed. You know, um, and very simple movements, and that aids in the longevity of these things. Um, and like I said, you know, I remember seeing this watch and just thinking, but why? Like I sat there because because basically it was for a group of friends of mine who are 
ex-military or on or, or just military connections through family and they collect militaria they do reenactment stuff and they get paid to do it sometimes or they turn up at events so obviously they had to get all the kit correct you know and i remember just seeing this and the guy had it um exactly how they were meant to be worn in in, in on these long-range reconnaissance patrols and all that kind of stuff so he had it on a canvas band with a wrist compass and i just remember saying that's cool like, I like the attention to detail. Yeah, I like I like the attention to detail. And it's really cool. But I just sat there kind of for how many people have, you know, effectively in, you know, uh, estate sales or garage sales or whatever, you know, come across granddad's kit, as it were, in like the attic after the unfortunate he's passed and, you know, they're throwing the stuff out and they just look at this like little, you know, 35 millimeter Seiko watch and kind of hoon it over the shoulder and don't think much of it. You know, that's what I I really thought. But it took me about three years to get all of them. Um, you'll like this, the 7005 um, that I have, um, it was, I bought it off a friend called Ben and he's like, he's massive into this military, military collecting side, but he does it from a side of like vehicles as well. So like for him, like he likes the bigger bits of these, uh, um, you know, kind of like reenactment kind of like stuff and military. And he actually only sold it to me because he knew that I would appreciate it. So he turned around and went, you are a watch collector. He goes, I've seen the rest of your collection. Like I've, he goes, I've not vetted you, but I have. And it was just like, I just know that you won't sell this. And I, you know, I, I want you to have it into your collection. And that was quite really cool, you know, but as a watch, it's just yeah. fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's really cool. Um, but I don't know, like I said, and, it, and, it, and some people obviously have messaged me as well on, on the podcast about, about these watches or my specific collection. And, you know, firstly, the question is, will you sell it? Uh, the answer is always no. Um, the second one is, how do you know whether they went to Vietnam? Now, this is something I thought we could talk about a little bit and this whole idea of how can you guarantee or whatever. And the answer is you can't. You know, we just know that those references were used and the configuration of the watch, the movement and the dials that I've got match what is in uh, the book Running Recon, that matches in the other accounts. Have you heard of a guy called John Stryker Mayer? No, I mean, it really comes down to the provenance of the watch. Yeah. And unless, like like I, I mentioned Colonel Pogue earlier, unless that person has pictures that shows them with that watch, yeah. where they can provide, because there, there'll be a lot of unscrupulous people yeah. that will be on eBay, et cetera, and they'll be like, yeah, military, whatever. And then I will, you know, we message them and be like, do you have some evidence? They're like, no. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, then, you know, I, I hate to be that, skept that skeptical type, but unless you can prove it, no you can't it's hard to make that to make that claim actually i i have the 7005 but i have the white dial variant which is not it's i not used to own that not my fisog and actually i did a, a podcast appearance on fratello recently with 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 their resident uh seiko guru michael stockton shout out to stockton i love mm. that guy and he he has one of those as well and like for me like i found the i actually found this white dial 7005 and i mean even those will will Mm -hmm. sell just a little bit shy of a thousand someone listed on ebay didn't know what they had didn't put the reference numbers anything and i just happened to be trolling through and found yeah. it. I paid a couple hundred maybe even a hundred bucks for it and yeah. i was i i believe it i love that thing i bought one of the white dial ones back in 2018 and nice. i gave i actually gave it away i gave it to a friend ah. of mine because he uh, so it Big storyline, good friend. <laughs> well, well, that's it. Like he, he, he did a lot for me, like growing up. Um, 
helping me out and all that kind of stuff and like hey, so hey. he was he was um at the time he was serving in the air force so he was a signals officer in the royal air force and he actually helped me with my application to join the military and obviously encouraged me to, to do what i wanted to do and he gave me some insight hey. by taking me around various people that he knew were employed within the roles that I was looking at. So because of that early encouragement and he's a very close family friend, when he came and visited me in 2018, he came over, I was stationed out here in Cyprus at the time and he came over and for a family holiday and to see our family, cause obviously family friends and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, oh, you collect watches. I was like, yeah, and he, yeah, I do. It's a bit weird hobby at the time. And he said, oh, I'd love to see them when I come over. So obviously I had my watch box on the side. We went through it all and we were just talking about it. And he turned around and he goes, oh, will you help me source a watch? And I, this is the price point I want to pay. I, I really want to watch. And these are the things that I like. And funny enough, the 7,005 um, with the white dial was basically exactly what he wanted. Um, and I just turned around to him and just said, well, I've bought this. I've got, I've had the photos. I own the black dial one, which is actually, yeah. like you said, the one that people want. I went, I kind of bought the white dial one on, the, on a whim. It sounds really quite frivolous to say, but actually at the time, back in 2018, um, I think I picked it up for, again, because the person didn't know what they had. They yeah. didn't know what they were listing. Um, I picked up for like a hundred pounds posted. So I was just like, even then that's a good price. Yeah, exactly. And I just sat there and kind of thought, well, you know what? I have it. And I remember doing the photos of like the black one and the white one together. And I just thought it was really cool. Um, but because I just sat there and kind of thought, you know what? This bloke who's helped me out, you know, encouraged me, inspired me yeah. effectively to help, you know, aid me in my career. And I was just like, have it, take it. You know, and I can tell you now, uh, he still wears it to this day and it hasn't left his wrist since 2018. So, you know what I mean? A guy who enjoys it, you know what I mean? And he doesn't yeah. care about the military connection. He doesn't care what it is. To him, it's just his daily watch. Um, it means something because effectively I gave it to him is what he says. And it's just something cool, you know? Um, and I think that's just like a really cool roundabout story with that watch. But yeah, I've, I've, I've seen those as well. And, you know, I, I, again, I've not seen many since 2018 uh, online. So they must be drying up as well. That's all the that's all the difference that it has that. I mean, in this instance, this one has provenance. It came from you, a good Ooh. friend, clearly. So it's like one of those things like I, I know I'm I published recently. I did some research on America's first black astronaut mm-hmm. uh, who was it was actually a United United States Air Force astronaut because they had their own astronauts. Yeah. Uh, before that program was rolled into NASA, which I didn't know about before I started researching. But I started looking at my my uh, my grandfather was a colonel in the in the U.S. Air Force, and I started looking at pictures of of him in uh, South Korea during the the conflict there in the fifties, and he's wearing and what he was wearing. I found some good pictures, and I'm like, yeah. He unfortunately passed a few years ago, but my grandmother is uh, she's like 98 now. So like I'm planning to visit soon, and I, I want to like comb through all of his effects, see if I can find that watch because oh man. Yeah. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it's it's these stories, really. That mm. uh, and it doesn't matter what the watch costs. Like you can have like your your most badass Rolex, etc. But like honestly, the most valuable watch in my collection is this gold-plated retirement. I think it's a Hamilton that came retirement watch that my my grandfather, who was a my other grandfather, who was a master carpenter, mm-hmm. received retired. That's my most valuable watch. I I don't wear it much because personally, I don't I don't care much. For, for gold cases, but I'll never sell it. And yeah. it's, not, it's not even worth much if I were to sell it, but it's yeah. like, it means the most out of all the watches I have for that reason. So yeah, it, and that's its own provenance. Well, exactly, you know, and, and I think the other side of it is if you look at modern watches and um, 
what I like about modern watches, I mean, clearly they're, you know, the manufacturing standards and the tolerance and timing is obviously better. Our, you know, just watches are made better nowadays, point blank, you know. Um, but what I like about a modern watch, especially in my collection, is the fact that in 20 years, 30 years, my modern watches will be considered vintage and they'll have those stories that you can pass down. You know, I think a big thing with vintage watches is the fact that people can buy into those stories now with watches that have what they consider a story. And I think that's a romanticism about vintage watches that you don't get with modern, you know. 100%. In terms of other brands then, like, you know, we, we mentioned then, you know, obviously the, the Seiko watches, we're clearly we're both big fans of these Mac V Sog watches and how difficult they seem to be coming now. Um, in terms of other like military issued watches from the 60s and 70s then, what, what other ones, you know, Sure. It, along a similar vein, um, in your experience, could be something that people could look out for. You know, you've got, um, you mentioned your Benrus there and how there's a link there with the CIA uh, and, and you know, other non-attributable watches. Is there any others that you can, you know? Sure. Yeah, no, and it's, this, this, it's kind of like a two-part answer. So you talked about the difference between U.S. military issued versus worn by personnel and like, just real quick note, like the, the Seiko 6105 was worn. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it famous for being worn by Captain Willard in Apocalypse Now, which, yeah. by the way, I just rewatched the uncut version. Oh, man, that thing's so good. Uh, but a lot of U.S. military personnel wore these watches in the late 60s and early, I want to say mostly early 70s, rather, um, uh, when during the conflict in Vietnam. And that was their choice versus issued. But if you talk about issued you get to the non-attribution. Like I, I'm actually talking with um, the International Spy Museum, which I don't I don't know how often you are in DC, but amazing place to visit uh, as far as museums go in DC. Uh, about the the 1980s era, it's a Seiko 2C21. Its nickname is the Contra. Allegedly, and I have no evidence. I don't think I don't know if evidence exists out here, but I'm talking with them about providing them one of these. Uh, presumably they, they have scholars as well. And I know they do have scholars because I'm talking to them that do their own research and they're, they're very capable individuals um, on this. Uh, the, allegedly the CIA issued these watches to uh, Sandinistan uh, Contras that the US government, again, I'm saying at, allegedly, I mm-hmm. don't know how this one goes, um, fighting against the Nicaraguan government at the time. And it's a very, very unique watch in that it has like these two modules that are stacked on top of one another, um, that, like 30 millimeters, maybe 28 yeah. millimeters. And I actually, I have one, my viewers obviously. Yeah, I've seen them, yeah. So on the, on one of the modules will be like, it's a quartz watch, forgive me. Uh, but one of the modules will be like a time. And then the top module will be like it, either a map reader or a compass. So it came with these modules that kind of swapped out, which is like really mm-hmm. cool. Um, so you can see the utility of having a compass or a map reader, or um, uh, there were a couple other modules as well, depending on the, the variant. Uh, so there's well, there was those, I, you know, like I said, I'm in talks to them um, to provide them one of these for their for one of their um, displays, which would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were other non-Seiko watches and it was like, Benrus did like the type one and type two yeah. watches. Uh, again, shameless plug here. We have homages to these watches with an, an automatic movement for sale in the shop right now. But uh, the Benrus type one and type two tend to, depending on condition, can run anywhere between seven and 10K USD, yeah. depending on how good a condition it's in. And it's very like sterile dial. The Benrus doesn't, the Benrus 
you know, branding does not show up on the dial. Yeah. Uh, the type one was this very plain dial type two with like a, you know, your normal one to 12, but it also had a 24 um, hour, um, you know, countdown on the dial itself. Um, but they did, like I said before, they did like the 3818 spec, the DTU that I talked about being issued to C uh, CIA forces. Also the, uh, what it's called the, the Benrus ultra deep um, dial, or, I'm sorry, watch as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of these were, were issued. Uh, I'm in talks with a friend of mine right now to do like a, like a, an homage to the, to the, um, the 3818 uh, spec or the ultra deep. I, it's exploratory, uh, exploratory rather to see like mm -hmm. maybe we do this, you know, because the ver like the legit versions themselves tend to be about a thousand, a little bit under. Um, so it's like looking for, is it possible to do a cheaper version still keeping that automatic or the, the manual wind mechanical yep. movement? You know, TBD on that. Um, but yeah, Ben Russ was big in that and then Hamilton as well. But, you know, when you talk about the the Belova itself, and the Belova did this this Acronaut or this Accutron astronaut. Yeah. And for those of your listeners not familiar with the Accutron, the Accutron was this transitionary technology between mechanical and, you know, your traditional quartz watches that are so popular these days. And it was kind of like an electronic watch if you will and it, it's it was really cool because it had your your second hand would have the smooth sweep that you would give a mechanical watch and not like the tick 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 that you see with yep. you know, contemporary quartz watches but the the agency and um Houdinki did a very good very well researched article on the the Acrotron astronaut but the agency issued these are their project Oxcart, their their uh, Lockheed A12 spy plane, which is the A12 yeah. was the predecessor to the um That's how the black one Blackbird, yeah. Uh, you know, DARPA, obviously, you know, DOD DARPA is all up in here for this. But I mean, this aircraft was amazing. It's literally faster than, than a rifle bullet. It it hits speeds three times the speed of sound, aka, you know, yeah. two thousand miles an hour. Um, I don't know what that is in kilometers. <laughs> um uh, for my for for the layman um and excusing the terrible language but i guess the translation to that in kilometers is fucking fast <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, literally this thing would it would cross continental united states in like a little over an hour which yeah. is incredible, it's incredible. And this people is don't thousand feet at yeah that. Pe people yeah. don't realize that the uh, sr-71 flew at such a speed that the thing similar to concord it would expand like sr-71s yeah. leaked profusely on the ground because they made them so that they could leak so that actually when they got to speed because of the heat they'd expand and they'd yep. stop leaking like yep. the moment yeah, I mean, it would expand. yeah, yeah you know like i think i remember um so i Clearly, I was an absolute nerd as a child, but I used to get given all these reference books and I just read voraciously. And it was all, all about, you know, tanks and tanks, boats and planes and military stuff. And I remember one and it was like this. It was like a big double page spread on like the standard air quotes here mission that a SR-71 could expect to conduct during the Cold War. And literally from like zero to X amount of minutes effectively which just covered takeoff to get up to whatever altitude it needed to get up to before it needed to go on to its mission it had to tank and do an air-to-air -air refuel because it just leaked all of its fuel out so it's mental and yeah. it was also like horribly like uh expensive fuel um yeah. as well and they, they talk about it in the article it's, it's I, I definitely recommend it literally just just search for houdinki in 
Um, it's Accutron and it's, yeah. Or Belova, Accunat, or Accutron, and you'll find it. Um, yeah. But I mean, this this was literally this was actually the U.S. military's first operational stealth aircraft. Yeah. The the twelve, and it had like this special radar observing paint that reduced the cross section as it would show up on radar. Like it, it was really cool. But they also um, the United States Air Force and NASA issued the same watch to their their X fifteen rocket plane, which was the first operational space plane in the nineteen sixties, and this thing would go up on the the um boeing b-52 shadow fortress yeah and it, it's like in a quote-unquote like mothership role and then yeah. it would like they would get way up and then they would launch it would you know release it it was under the wing i mean i don't think people understand how massive the b-52 is oh no, no they don't um, it's, it's mental as you say that we still use this thing yeah. and they use it in arc light strikes that you know these same forces that were issued the the mac v sog seikos would call in yeah. And you know Laos and Cambodia and things like that. Uh, and you know what in the sixties and seventies, it's crazy. We still use this, but like so, it would drop it, and then it would it would you know go on its missions. Yeah, it's mental, isn't it? It's really good portrayal of that kind of stuff is at the beginning of uh, the Ryan Gosling film, um, which obviously Armstrong, the Neil Armstrong portrayal, because his. Um, have you seen that film? Which was the, the near whichever one that he did that uh, Ryan Gosling did where he basically portrayed Neil Armstrong going to the moon. Oh right, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So whichever yeah. I can't remember off the top of my head, I can't actually remember the title of that film now. For some reason. Yeah. Um, but I remember the opening scene is effectively a rocket test flight in yeah. an X-15. And it's mental because like I said, you know. I don't think people realize that, like I said, it's it's on the wing of a B-52 and it's effectively launched off it and it's it's gone. You know, it, it's, it's a really good like opening scene. So if any one of you are interested in that side of what we've just spoken about, go watch that film because it's awesome. Uh, and actually there's quite a few watches in it as well. So it ties it back into uh, watches and, and, and the military. Um, it actually ties us in quite nicely with Amiga and vintage Amiga watches um, because clearly before NASA- Before we get into that, sorry to interrupt, before we get into yeah. that, I, I would make the plug for that for that article again, the, uh, the, the, the first American black astronaut yep. because that United States Air Force program and it, it was nicknamed Dorian, but it was like, and this, this plays into both of our imagery analyst backgrounds, so what the United States was doing at the time was it was going to launch a platform. This is before imagery satellites really mm -hmm. and technology. And this was during the Nixon administration where they were going to launch this platform. And it was a disposable platform where they would launch it with astronauts. It'd be two uh, and they would go up. And this is what the the um, this is what the astronaut was training for. And his his name his name was. Uh, oh, man, why am I forgetting his name? This this is embarrassing. Uh, his name was oh Robert Lawrence, and so for this platform, he was trained to go up, and it would launch, and it would have like these onboard cameras, and of yeah. course it would be in geosynchronous orbit over the Soviet Union at the time, and it would image, you know, strategic targets, mm -hmm. be either like infrastructure, oil depots, or you know, nuclear missile sites, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. And it, you know, it he, he was. It would when it would come back down. It was via I forget the name of the spacecraft, but it was he pioneered this kind of like where you would come in seemingly like out of control at a very fast and sharp vector and then flare at the last second and mm -hmm. land. And it was actually during one of these training missions that he unfortunately I think it was like 32 at the time where he died because it something went wrong. Just and 
came into a staple flat too light yeah, yeah it was it was a lot of people like we talk about these amazing like airframes but like it was an incredible amount of danger in flying mm -hmm. all of these and it just i have the utmost respect um for a lot of these pilots and obviously it, it's not like the united states military had the monopoly on the on bravery um uh, a lot of the the nato allies in five eye is obviously the the special relationship that that you know the u.s military has with with our our british counterparts like it was just amazing some of the stuff that was mm -hmm. done but uh that's a sorry a bit of a, of a tangent but like onto the hoyer thing apologies for interrupting yeah, so i was just just going to quickly cover a bit of um before hoyer because i've got a, a watch i want to talk to you see your opinion about with village sure. hoyer but um i felt that the uh astronaut stuff and the rocket plane stuff tied in really well with Amiga um, and space and NASA, which then actually ties us back into Seiko. So what I wanted to speak to you about was um, obviously astronaut watches. We've spoken about the Pogue. Clearly, everyone knows what an Amiga Speedmaster is and, you know, whichever ones <laughs> went to the moon. Great. They'll Bye. never let you forget. And I honestly, I can't blame them for that. I no, exactly. You know exactly. You know they they put the first you know watch on the moon. Of course they're going to they're going to milk it to death, and they're going to bring out so many different versions every single year. And I'm quite happy for it because I like As it. I dislike personally the moon swatch. No mm. one can no one can debate that that was a master stroke by by swatch. Yeah, it was. But how popular that thing was. I mean, personally, I I I'm not a fan, but like they're still trading on that that legend, and it they're they're making a lot of money doing it yeah yeah definitely you know and, and like i i i i am i am a fan of the moon swatch i think the idea yeah. behind it's really cool because i like I, yeah. what i like about it is the idea is potentially it gets more people interested in collecting Agreed. watches and that's Agreed. how i see it at the msrp it's supposed to yeah. sell it i think it's great but yeah. you, you get the you know i'm, I'm going on chrono 24 and people are buying for five or six k you can buy a legit speedmaster professional for that yeah. price point you know so well, well people who are Exactly. People who are doing that are jumping on that. Uh, me and Nate, have you heard of the Bellingham podcast? About the what? The, uh, so I record with a gentleman called AJ Barsay he, a lot. He's um, out in Washington, up in Bellingham, and he runs a thing called the Bellingham podcast. And he's actually a watch guy as well. Um, and we actually did an episode about the Moon Swatch. And we both said that the thing is, is a lot of people are jumping on this hype train and they're trying to, you know, like I said, like make a quick, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and make a quick buck out of these watches and, and, and potentially sell them for, you know, hundreds of percentage yeah. over the retail because that's what oh, they yeah. want. But like the people who are buying them are stupid, basically. You know, if you're going to be that stupid and you want to buy one of those for two and, you know, six grand or whatever, go buy a real Speedmaster. You know, the way I, we, we both agreed, um, me and AJ, that is, that we, we like it because it, the idea is that potentially it will bring new people into collecting watches yeah. at the price point and hopefully that you know that will link their effectively not addiction but you know i mean that watch could be effectively a gateway drug into collecting watches and they can look at it and learn and then kind of go up in price or whatever but and that'd be really cool but like those who are buying it at six grand well you're just a fucking retard basically you yeah. know you know you've got more money than sense and to and to, and to, to the listeners that you have that are new to watches just wait you yeah. know, this is not a limited edition. They will catch up. Do you, I don't know if you remember when Timex reissued that. Um, oh God, I forget the name, but it was like the Pepsi, like the Pepsi. Yeah, the uh, Timex Q. They went, the Timex yeah, exactly. Sorry, they, I, I have one of those. Like, I, yeah. I, I love that Timex is mining their history and mm. making it affordable for exactly what you said, getting new people interested. Just wait. It's not a limited yeah. edition. 
I know it's hard in this consumer driven culture to, to, to have patience, but for the love of God, wait and you will not be disappointed because the MSRP is $300 US. Yeah. And like, just give it- Just wait, be patient. Or, you will not be disappointed and you'll have it on your wrist if you want to get the Uranus. Yeah. <laughs> Uranus, yeah. I love that, I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, that that's fine. And if honestly, if you're going, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, if you if you wait and you get one at affordable, you're not paying you know, 5K for one, I think for the, the value, I think, I think it's a good deal. Now, keeping in mind, it's a plastic watch, so mm -hmm. it's made to be disposable. If you go into it with your eyes wide open, good. I, I think yeah. that's great. Um, and then, and if it leads you one day to our door, even better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but like, uh, so going back to obviously like real, um, I say real, you know, because it is real, real yeah, Speedmasters yeah. now. Like, um, the ones that I like are obviously that I do like the vintage ones. I like the the modern ones. I really like a the three eight six one. Uh, the the moon the new modern coaxial movement because uh, I think if I was to own one now and spend that kind of money unless I could get a birthier one which for me you know yeah. for me it's clearly you know I can do it because they, they made thousands of them um, but like it's finding one in the condition that I would want it in if I didn't find a birthier Speedmaster I'd go and buy a modern one and I think that I'd be happy with that all day every day but like for me the Speedmasters that I would aspire to own are the ones with the mission dials, you know, like the little mission patches on the dials. What, what do you think of those as, as watches? Do you think they're really cool in terms of like the vintage you know, market? Is there like a market for those watches or? I think, oh no, yeah, 100%. No, there definitely is. I mean, I, I mean, really, I mean, it doesn't even matter what I think. Omega has done the research and they mm -hmm. know there. you know what I mean? Um, the birth year, it's interesting you mentioned that because we get a lot of requests uh, because Omega and Seiko are great in that, you know, it's a little bit harder for Omega because you have to read the serial number on the movement. Mm -hmm. It's not as exact, uh, but you can find that within like a quarter, you know, an, an yeah. annual quarter, birth birth month, birth year watch. Yeah. But Omega, uh, Seiko, and, and I love them and hate them at the same time because Seiko on their, and this is vintage yeah. Seiko, on their serial will have both, you, you're able to determine from the serial both the month and the year that it was manufactured. Yeah. So you get a lot of people, we get those requests a lot. Um, and I say, I love them and hate them because like, usually it, I mean, it will always take longer to find that specific, you know, birth year or even birth month watch. Um, but sometimes, man, I know the longest it took was two years to find a 6309. I don't, I don't know, for whatever reason, they just weren't out there. And mm -hmm. <laughs> the irony is by the time I found it, you know, we had been caught in a price surge, which happens yeah. with vintage, and it was now the price was about fifty percent more than we had originally quoted. And the guy was like, "No, I don't want it." And I was like, Ugh. Ah, yeah, "Put it on the website." Yeah. It sold within a week, so it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think there is a market for those for sure. Um, uh, Speedmasters. I mean, a lot of people will will say, you know, if you're going to go Omega, like the Speedmaster Professionals or even the Speedmaster Reduce uh, yeah. for for the more economic economical um uh foray and your initial foray into omega are great values and they're very yeah. handsome instantly recognizable watches with an amazing history yeah so, really yeah. cool watches um the last space watch i want to talk about before sure. we disappear because you'll definitely have more knowledge of it than i will um is the seiko is it known as the astronaut it's that lcd watch the one with the 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 rotating bezel that would change rotating, the yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah have you ever come across any of those watches in your time or? we've sort we source them from time to time i mean really people you know and, and this is where i back up a bit like 
thank you for the compliments calling calling uh calling me authoritative on this but like honestly i learned i've been doing this for a couple of decades now i learn stuff every day mm-hmm. and like it's it there's such a rich history of seiko with the with not just nasa and the american space program but like the global space you know programs like uh, astronauts everywhere and it really does speak to like the reliability that people view seiko with um but no those especially that's a relatively recent i think discovery yeah um that was that that was associated with with uh with space and you see them in, in honestly it's been a while since i sourced one so the price point eludes me at the moment mm. but like it will be more um, affordable than like your Seiko Pogue, which mm-hmm. I hate to say the Seiko Pogue right now is in the middle of a price surge. Um, it's it's crazy, but I would say you could find those. I'm just gonna throw out a number, don't quote me on this, but like five, 600 bucks maybe, mm. um, which, is, which is great given the heritage on there. So yeah. you are gonna find those out there. Um, but uh, yeah, no, with the, back to the Seiko a bit, like, you know, just, separate from the space program like and we talked about this a bit before we before we started recording but like i've also seen a big a a little bit of uptick in the um the seiko watches that were issued to the uk forces so both the royal air force and also the the submarine force uh, as well and that i the the ones i speak of are the 7828-7120 which is known as the generation one or its successor a little bit of an overlap but the 7t27-7820 and both of those are they're quartz, but they're legendary quartz watches. Yeah. Um, some of them were issued to the to the submarine forces, which are super rare. Um, and like the best way to tell the difference is the the a lot of the um, the Royal Air Force ones. Uh, what is it? The P stands for Prometheum. Is that what it was? Yeah, Prometheum. Prome- yeah. What a cool word for Loom. Instead of Supernova, they went for Prometheum. Oh, that's Prometheum, that's pretty it. cool. Yeah, and there'll, there'll um, be a P with a circle around it on the yeah. dial. The submarine ones don't have that and they're super rare i don't know if it was obviously there's a whole different uh you know operational environment when you're on a submarine versus you know allowed aircraft so um, i can see <laughs> so do you know why because i can give you the answer from the research means, you're like you're like this so, please, so they they removed the radio or they removed the luminescence is probably more accurate in saying from pretty much all of the watches that went on Royal Navy submarine service issue. Uh, and the reason for that was when they took on the nuclear deterrent and went to nuclear powered submarines because they were afraid that the Prometheum or the tritium or the radium in the dials was enough to set off the Geiger counters on the submarines. That that's coupled with, yeah, that's the problem. Uh, that and coupled with the fact that you're in a submarine so you can actually have the lights on. So they just went economies of scale. If we don't need to put loom on the dial, we won't put loom on the dial. So that's why they don't have them on there. Um, You like this because this takes us into a brand that we weren't going to talk about, but we clearly will now because you brought up the Royal Navy submarine (laughs) service. You like this. Um, So in one of my books, I'm going to have to send you the link to to the book um, after we finish recording. Um, But as an article about Rolex submariner watches uh, as in literal submariners um to the submarine forces and rolex used to gift one submariner to every captain who was in charge of a royal navy submarine and the only difference between that submariner watch and a regular 5517 or 5513 at the time was the fact that they would take the um tritium off the dial so it was a non 
uh, luminescent dial. Awesome. Awesome. But it was physically gifted to each uh, submarine captain at the time. It's not so, only yeah. the bragging rights of for the rest of your life of captaining something like this, but you get this yeah. badass Rolex. Yeah, That's exactly. Superior. That's amazing. Yeah, oh. so there you go. I love stories uh, like I love stories like that. It's really cool, isn't it? You know, but um, what I also like about the Generation One chronograph is it's the first. This is nerdy. First chronograph with an analog display, I believe. Quartz chronograph yep. with, with an yep. analog. With an analog display. And yep. for those James Bond fans out there, not the exact model, uh, as in case model that the Royal Air Force had, but Roger Moore, during his time as James Bond, James Bond wore that reference of, uh, of Seiko chronograph. So if you go and find that, you can buy yourself a Bond watch. So there you go. Yeah, the 7828, I, I won't go, I won't delve too much into it, but I really love those. Um, the, the 7828 is not only like like you said, I mean, it, there's it's historical um, for that reason as the first, but there's so many variants of it. Like, you know, I, I've stumbled recently into a few 7828-7090s, the regatta, the ultra rare regatta watches. Uh, we're hoping to add one soon. I have I have a couple with the watchmakers right now. They're hard to find. I just lucked into a, mm -hmm. a catch bay, if you will. Someone had a few of them and naturally we snapped them up. But you know, some of like the majority of them had these like the matte bead blasted cases that are yeah. that, that don't reflect light like a stainless steel. Like it's almost like they set them up to be military mm -hmm. watches. Yeah. And you see, uh, and for that reason, a lot of military forces favor them. Um, yeah. Obviously, dipping back in history, but because Seiko no longer makes them, unfortunately, but just fascinating watches. And, and there's a couple, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen different variants of these things. Yeah. No, I like, I, like, I do like them. I think they're really cool. Um, in fact, I, I know of, you're like this, I'm going to have to send you a photo because obviously being in Cyprus at the moment, I'm, I can't physically go there. But I do know of a shop um, local to where I am currently based that has two um, chronographs for sale, uh, a generation nice. one and a generation two. So I, I, I may be going shopping when I go back, just saying. Uh, but I'll have to send you, send you some photos. If, if it ends up being a uh, non-Promethean dialed uh, Seiko chronograph, I now know to pick, pick it up. We'll so. have to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, moving on to Hoya. So there's only one, well, there's a few military Hoyas. So obviously you've got the Hoya buns, which are really, I think, really cool. Um, you know, as, as issued chronographs to, to the German forces. And, you know, they're, they're really cool, cool watches. I've never actually held one. I've never seen one in real life. I just think they're really cool. Um, I like the bi-compact dials and I like the big um, black bezels and stuff like that. I just think the idea of having them, they look very German in aesthetic as well, because they're just beefy um, fly uh, aviators chronographs. But the one, the, the one um, military Hoyer watch that really interests me that I've never seen and I expect I probably never will is the DLC Hoyer Octavia chronographs that were issued to the Israeli Defense Force. Yep. Um, yeah, no. Ahead, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else ever issued them. I have no idea. I have no idea why the Israeli Defense Force went to Hoyer to do those. But I've seen two photos of them and those things look amazing. So for those who listened to the Zulu Time podcast right back at the beginning, I spoke about these when we covered like the 1970s and 80s very briefly. Um, but effectively, they were issued to the Israeli commandos or the Shayet 13. I probably butchered that because it's Hebrew. But effectively, yeah. it's this, this special forces of the, yeah. of the Israelis. 
Um, there may be a link potentially with like, you know, their intelligence services, Mossad and all that kind of stuff. I have no idea. But obviously, you know, clearly there is always a crossover with special forces and, and, and the likes of those kind of agencies across all countries. Um, but I would love to see one of those watches in real life. I think that's just a really cool military watch. You know, Hoyer, I mean, not only was it the Israelis, but I've seen like Argentinian Air Force, like there's, and, and some of this, I think, um, there, there actually is, I'm trying to remember what the name of the, I have the book somewhere, but now of course I can't find it, but there's, there's a book, um, that looks in the history of Hoyer and like Hoyer itself before it was bought by tag. And it, I believe it was late 83 was always in like financial dire straits. So it really made Jack Hoyer, which was like this legendary figure in the early years of Hoyer, like he was a hustler. There's no mm -hmm. doubt about it. He was always trying to find business. And he's good at it too, which is yeah. it's all the more like unfortunate that Hoyer was always struggling so financially. So I wouldn't be surprised if this this man literally booked a flight to Tel Aviv and was like, "Hey guys, I got this awesome watch. And like, <laughs> please buy it off me." <laughs> that dude was just like, he was known for that, and they, like it really impresses upon you when you read this book that like that's all he did nonstop was just grind mm. to sell watches. And really, when you look at it like Hoyer watches in the 70s, particularly the ones you mentioned, but it's it's the refs, the 73463, um, the 73363, and those are the Altavias, but also the yeah. ref 113.603, um, which is like this all black PVD, like just, they are badass. Like they just, when you look at them, they just convey, you just feel like a military like presence. Just in the whole way, you know, these utilitarian dials, like the the, either the Matt B blasted case or the PVD black case. Like you just, you get that feel. If, you, if you're around military stuff enough, you're like, that just has a military yeah. stance to it. Uh, and this is, yeah. The, so the, I know that, go ahead, go ahead. So the DLC one that you're talking about there, is that the same one that I'm thinking, which has the orange chronograph hands and all that kind of stuff? It is. Um, and it, it looks, is. it look because I've not got the image up, but it oh, doesn't right. have a integrated bracelet, but it looks like it has an integrated bracelet. Is that the one I'm on about? Yeah. Yep. And and I will say, like, there's, um, I remember reading a, a great story. I think, I don't remember which reference was, but there were two Israeli pilots. Um, it was the 73 war, and they were they were flying a mission against the, uh, Syria, and they got shot down. One escaped, mm -hmm. and one didn't. And um, I believe it would have been Mossad recovered that. It was a Hoyer watch recovered that watch 33 years later after the pilot had been killed had died in captivity and gifted it to the family that's mental it, huh? it just i mean that's amazing yeah, like, yeah. That's, the fact that they were able to do that is i mean think about it like i know what it's like to find i know how difficult it is to find hard to find watches and this is like the hardest to find watch in a hostile country like mm -hmm. all i can't even imagine but Crazy. yeah so Hoyer connections to militaries worldwide runs deep. And a lot yeah. of it, there's been a fair level of like scholarly work done on it, but there's still a lot more to do. Um, yeah. I think so. Yeah. And these, no, I like, I, I like these, those. These traded premium. When you, anytime in the, usually you find in the case back, the IDF would inscribe, it'd be like an M, and then there'd be like some, some numbers after it. Those are, there's a premium on those. I mean, mm -hmm. with, these, with these alone, like just the ones that weren't issued, there's a yep. premium on them. Exactly. Alone, yeah, there is. And that's your military providence right there when it has that inscription on the back. Now, granted, I guess someone could duplicate that, but like, I don't see a lot of those faked, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, so there's, not, there's not as much because, again, 
separate, you know, different from Seiko, Hoyer, a lot of it is just so esoteric. And it's not, you won't find the level of people when you have Rolex, it's not Rolex level um, no. expensive. You'll find a lot of fakers with Rolex and they'll fake stuff because it because Rolex is instantly recognizable. But yeah. when you throw out Hoyer there, it, it's it's the more esoteric collectors that that get this, and there's not as many fakes, which is which is good, obviously. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, um, the I, I just think that area of Hoyer is just really cool. Like I said, I've never really experienced yeah. any of them, but I've seen. I love Hoyer. Um, yeah, I love uh, Hoyer. You know, the best video that I've ever seen online about vintage Hoyer was Hudinki's interview with uh mario andretti yeah because he's just got all of them out yeah. on that table it's and they're just going watches, through right? yeah, yeah. yeah yeah that's the best one i've ever seen um yeah. the other thing actually and you again you again i would say you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think it's this, i think it's the same case shape so that dlc hoyer that you we were talking about just then with yeah. the orange chronographs uh, hands and all that kind of stuff the really cool racing one i believe is the same as the porsche Fina design chronograph isn't it yeah and i was gonna i was gonna bring that up so yeah it's actually there, this is this is uh interesting on multiple points because it, it goes back to what i was saying before about hoyer struggling financially where they would literally make everything it would be their watch but then they would throw like leisure or mm -hmm. um porsche uh or, i'm sorry orfina porsche design yep whatever on the dial and, and for the most part with a little bit of departures but it was almost exactly sometimes exactly the same watch and it's it's you're seeing like an uptick in those those or orfina porsche design pvd watches right now i'm seeing yep. it yeah uh, don't you know why <laughs> uh, yeah top gun yeah uh, so, <laughs> exactly you got, you got, so you got the original and tom cruise rock one yeah. um and I, I mean obviously in any red-blooded male of military age or well after knows top gun i, I, I watched the film at least once a year to keep the dream alive you know <laughs> at the beginning of that while at the beginning of that film i can remember my dad the first time he got his around sound system blasted it with that with that f-14 tomcat taking yeah. off the deck and oh my god my mom got so mad at him was like turn it down and i was like yeah. no and i was this like this is amazing and i was like that indelible image is impacted in the sound uh, mm -hmm. you know for the rest of my life but um you know in the sequel the long, long delayed sequel because yeah. of the pandemic, unfortunately, um, it's in that too. It is. You know? And I really it, like that. He it kept it in there. I'm struggling right now. I don't think it's the original. I feel like, I don't remember whether they reissued it or not. It's eluding me right now. Um, but it's, there's an Orfina in it. And yeah, there is. So he is wearing the Orfina. They or is it, is it the original? I don't remember. So I read a article because I do like Top Gun. Like it's one of my favorite films. Yeah, of course. And I, I am an absolute nerd with that film. Uh, but I, uh, again, like, because I was interested about whether, and we, again, we're, we're clearly going to talk about it now, but whether it was going to be the same watch or it was going to be a different watch because obviously IWC hold the Top Gun line. So I was yeah. wondering if he was going to wear a Top Gun watch. And clearly it turns out he's got a Porsche Orfina black DLC chronograph on his wrist. Now, I've since Googled it. It turns out they're doing a reissue now for 7,000 uh, okay. So this is it. Now, whether the one that's on his wrist is the reissue, I, we have no idea. Yeah. I read yeah. an article at the very beginning of Top Gun 2 and all the hype when it was meant to be released. And obviously people had zoomed in on the watch because obviously they got that. In the trailer, there's that zoom in of his hand on the throttles of the F-18 yep. yep. and yep. they can just about make out that it's that band. Like you said, it's that integrated, yep. not but non-integrated looking bracelet. And yep. apparently 
uh, either the prop designer was quoted or the prop master was quoted or maybe a off like you know someone kind of like you know kind of quoting Cruz himself was saying how it is the original watch you know mm -hmm. so there's potential that it comes from his collection and actually if you look at Tom Cruise take away his you know him as a person and actually just the fact that he is a bit of a watch guy if you look at the brands he wears yeah. He yeah. does have some very esoteric brands that wouldn't just be bec just because of, you know, potential uh, brand marketing, as it were. You know, there's quite, a, he's yeah. got a few brands where I do actually think he's probably gone out and actually bought that. Um, yeah. And in the same article where they ID'd that he was wearing this Orfina watch in the second film, again, they said that it was the original watch. So there is a tiny percentage, I guess, where it could be his own watch from the first film. Um, but like I said, because of this hype now with, Top Gun 2, uh, Porsche Orfina design, as it were, if you Google them, you can Google the watch and they've renamed it and they called it the Maverick. Um, and it has got a wait list, like every modern watch at the moment has got a wait list and it's got a wait list, but it's going uh, retailing at $7,700. Um, but what's really funny you can find is... the original for less. Not oh, much, yeah, exactly. Less. Oh yeah, yeah, the original, the original, I think we sold... Oh God, I, I'm blanking. It was like maybe four or five months ago. We sold one in a new old stock condition for like maybe four or five. Mm -hmm. But it was intense. I mean, with the PVD watches, remember, like if they're used the way they did resign, and even if they're just mm -hmm. a death fiber, that PVD on the bottom of the bracelet is gonna it's wear. Gonna go. Yeah, so yeah. It's well, hard and, to find one with uniform coverage and and that kind of stuff. But, but I mean, it goes, wait, go ahead. It, so it goes back to what we said at the very beginning. Manufacturing standards back then were completely different to what they are now. So expect exactly. that wear. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, it goes to what you're saying. Like, I know that like, as part of my marketing efforts, like I will find, I'll try to find celebrities or actors that seem to have a genuine love of watches and not just, and like we spoke about with Tom Cruise, because some, some actors, and I don't hate them on them, it's good for them, but like some of these really expensive watch brands will pay them to wear a certain watch on the red carpet. I get that. Yeah. It's fine. But if they don't care about watches beyond that, then they're not the customer for me. I mean, if they want to buy you know, I'm still going to sell them. Don't get me wrong. But like, in going back to Houdini's talking watches, one of the, I have my top three episodes. One was the one you mentioned. One was Ronnie Chiang because, you yeah. know, selfish plug here. He mentions us in it because we sold him a couple of those Seiko 6139 Black Dial Bruce Lee's. But it was also Daniel Day Kim's episode. His episode is really I good. I loved about that episode. And, and look, I, I've, I view him as, I, I count him as a friend. I, you know, we, we get lunch every now and again. He's an awesome, awesome guy. He's incredibly intelligent. Like he's an, an, an avid speaker on, on Asian American Pacific Islander rights. He spoke in front of Congress. He's on the administration's uh, board on this, but he's a genuine watch guy. And in that talking yeah. watch episode, he talks about his first memory of a watch is his father with an automatic Seiko when he was a child shaking it. And everyone who has automatic watches knows that shake to get it started in the morning and strapping on his wrist. And mm -hmm. like, it was like that when he talked like that with that memory i was like i gotta reach out to this guy yeah. long story short i mean we've sold him a few we sold him quite a few actually uh vintage seiko 6139s in particular but you know it's that like that genuine love that passion as we talk about yeah. and actually ronnie talks about it in his interview yeah. for the hollywood reporter and he's like you know what does he say something like you know seven degrees of kevin bacon you can find a watch you can find a justification to buy yourself a new watch it's not just him. It's all of yeah. us. You know, like yeah. For that, for that, um, you know, like for instance, like my first um, Octavia, the Viceroy, I bought as a celebration for my daughter being born, and I was wearing it at the time. 
mm-hmm. never sell that, you know, and it will be gifted to her, whether or not she wears it or cares, I hope, but, you know, it'll be gifted to her at some point down the road, so. Yeah, exactly. No, it's cool, that. In fact, was in, in Daniel Day Kim's interview, I believe he mentioned, I can't remember what film it is, because I saw it, but it was a space film. He wears an Ultraman, doesn't he? Because he wanted right. to wear it. He does. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. And I talked to him about that, because there was a lot of people who were like, is this like, was it a plug or was it not? Mm-hmm. He actually owns one. Yeah, he does, and, yeah. But, but the interesting thing for the film, because I asked him, I was like, was this the original? Was this your own? Or did Omega gift you one? And he said Omega gifted him one. I, I believe it was a non-working sample because this, and this is, you know, just getting off a tangent. We look, we work a lot with prop masters for films and TV shows. Yeah. And a lot of times they want um, two of each, but they, sometimes they want it. So they want it rigged. So the movement, and it's always reversible, but doesn't work. They, but they can still move the hands because they're looking for, they, they obviously for understand, understandable reasons. They don't like when people are like, Oh, well, this, this didn't match up or whatever. But they, you know, they want to set it at one time as they take multiple shoots of a scene. But for his, it was for that reason, it was a non-working movement. But they they actually did gift him that. So he has that watch as a memento of the watch of the of the movie that he shot. Great movie, by the way. Highly recommended. But um yeah, so he had both. That's <laughs> cool. That's really yeah. cool. But they, no. they said to say a similar thing, didn't they? With uh, and I plugged the in my in a couple of episodes ago in um, my closing notes was the Adam project was the use uh, of um, the Speedmasters in that. You know yeah. how they it's had. Real, I love that movie, by the way for that reason. I love that movie. Yeah, and and I like that as well because they knew to go to. Um, the, the previous generation because of the age yeah. the characters were meant to be as well which is really cool so there's there was a movie it, i think it, it didn't get a lot of publicity but it's called i believe it was called the colony i believe not not the tv show but the movie and it's it's more or less it's a colony on the like the, humanity had left the united states it's on netflix for like mars or space or whatever and they come back to the united there to the to, to the earth to colonize it and there's indigenous forces that are still there you know you know whatever but the astronauts they all warn speedmaster so i'm like i love mm-hmm. when prop masters do their research yeah. or wardrobe yeah. when they do the research and uh, we work with them a lot on this like this is era specific this is what you would look for you know that kind of thing i, I love that kind of scholarly like yeah. you know it's great like, it's that attention to detail isn't it that just it is. and, yeah. and, and it, it appeals to us esoteric dorks that love horology you know for that reason but or just anything like period correct you know what i mean like for me just yeah. anything that's period yeah. correct just makes it so much better like i was watching 100%. um 100%. i was watching re effectively reruns because i have it is stuff like the pacific and band of brothers just yes. uh, because yes. i like them anyway but i watched them like i said back in the past you know back in the lockdowns and stuff when i was just on standby and i was watching them before the fact that i was just like, oh, actually i just wonder I now both, actually. actually i rewatched yeah. I watch them because, like I said, they're very good anyway. But I also watch them from the point of view just to see because, like I said, you know, we talk about vintage watches today and was saying how obviously there's only a finite amount of these things left in the world, right? Yeah. You know, and it's actually how many more were there, you know, 20 years ago, you know, and were they yeah. available? And it was just interesting to see that, you know, at least for the most part, in both Pacific and Band of Brothers, every time there was a watch in the scene or there was a close up, it seemed from what I could tell from obviously the quality. No, I agree. Of- the, the imagery yeah. um yeah. they were correct to the time and they were correct watches which yeah. is good to know you know and i like that, what was it um oh god 
what was the Spielberg? Why can't I remember the name of it? Spielberg World War II movie with Tom Hanks? Why, why am I blanking on this? Say it's Saving Private Ryan. What's that? Saving Private Ryan. Yes, exactly. And the same thing, like, you know, these these directors and their staff that do the amazing research, and it was accurate in that movie as well. Yeah. Like that, the detail is so key. And like, actually, you know, this is a shameless plug for myself. I'll make it quick. But like, we're doing a project right now with Sun Kang from Fast and the Furious. He plays the character of Han. Yeah. And um, he did this this rebuild of a 247Z called the the Doc Z, and he debuted it last year at SEMA, um, which is you know the for those of us that aren't interested in cars, but maybe may not know it's like the world's largest I think car show, and it's it's every year in, in Vegas. But it, I did this project for him where we you know worked with a couple other people, and we did this like there's Seiko stopwatches, era specific yeah. from the 70s that go on the dash because it's a rally car. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. Same things like. You know, Hoyer is known for these, but like, would you find Hoyer in a in a, in a Datsun? You wouldn't. You would find no. Seiko. Yeah, so it's like we're, we're working on those right now. It's going to be we're going to release them, I think, in the next couple of months, actually, hopefully this quarter. And we're only going to do 15 of them. And they're going to be cool. engraved, inscribed, one of 15 and all the very custom mounting plate. Yeah, all that. Yeah. That's cool. Sorry, that's shameless cool. plug there. But, no, I like it, though. I like it. But it goes back to it, doesn't it? It's all these things. And attention that, to detail. Yeah. yeah. No. You know, and I think that's uh, that ultimately is something that I find, like I say, it goes back to it. We all collect in our different ways, you know, and yes. like I said, I think yeah. the vintage world offers everything for anyone at different price points and value prices and brands. Yeah. But what yeah. I've noticed is across everything in terms of that like, I've met with through people who collect in general, it's that attention to detail that they like yes. in a watch, you know, so it's yeah, more for it. Um, Nick, obviously, you know, we've harped on about a lot of vintage watches today, you know, we've gone across different brands and different uh, types of watches and, you know, different, you know, clearly films and other references for watches and pop culture and all that kind of stuff. And it's been really good. Um, before I leave you, as it were, and we kind of start wrapping this episode up, where can people find you online and where can people get in contact with you? Sure. So um, the website is www.dc vintagewatches.com um we have um uh, i think four different accounts on on instagram the 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 biggest one is dc vintage watches so it's literally mm -hmm. at watches and then we have some that that specialize in more local because we still have some people in dc proper but mostly we're in la than los angeles these days so we have those are dcvw underscore los angeles or dcvw mm -hmm. underscore dmv which means dc maryland virginia um, and it, you'll be like, we'll, we'll throw attention to local watch shows or like, like for DC it tends to be a little bit more political, you know, yeah. but in, 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 a, in a, we try to keep it nonpartisan. Uh, but like, you know, that kind of things, Los Angeles will be more like of the same, like more automotive driven because God, I love Los Angeles and it's in its love SoCal and it's love for, for all the automotive, everything automotive. Um, and then we also have one is DCVW underscore FACO Friday. Yeah. And it's like every Friday and it, I just did this just out of annoyance with all the fake watches out there and it really caught on. So I did it own standalone account for it, but it's like every Friday I'm going to throw up, um, you know, here's a, here's a pithy meme, if you will, making fun of the fakeness of Seiko, like people that are trying to, to push stuff on us, unfortunately, the unknowing. And then I'll have like nine examples because obviously Instagram limits you to 10 slides, nine examples of, of the, of Faco that I, I've seen on eBay over the last week, um, yeah. and you know that's that's caught on. You know, I and, and and I love it when some people be like, "Oh, I was the guy that bought that," and I, and I will. I have no problem coaching someone through. Hey, mm -hmm. 
reach out to eBay. This is the argument you're going to make and you're going to get your money back. And look, if they come to us, great. If they don't, I don't care. At least I help someone and I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, those are the four main accounts. Um, you know, I also, I have an account, uh, it's, um, on Instagram, it's called at Isuzu Trooper RS. And I have this Isuzu Trooper. Clearly I love Japanese domestic market stuff. Go figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's Isuzu Trooper from 1989. It's a short, the short wheelbase. They imported 800 to the United States over six months in 89. Um, and yeah, this is not an automotive. This is military. I get, so I'll just throw that out there. So it's, it's more automotive um dedicated to that but yeah that's the best way um you can reach us our main email is sales at dcvintagewatches.com cool gleaming um i'll put them all into show notes guys and obviously um i think the azuzu troop one sounds quite funny actually because like i said watches and cars tend to you know cross over i I had no idea so until we moved to southern california i had no idea and it's like shout out to the smoking tire which is uh matt farrow which is an amazing blog or amazing, sorry, podcast, sorry, Matt. Um, and like, he he had us on as a guest and like, that was our debut on the SoCal scene back in 2018. And we just saw our socials explode after that because, and I was like, holy shit, there's actually something to this, you know, the, the automotive into watch scene. And it just, it's it's all history after that. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. Matt Farrow also did the um, the watch podcast in the series, the short series with... That's what Watching I he had us on twice for uh, Vintage Seiko and Vintage Hoyer, yeah. um, but his main podcast is Smoking Tire. But he yes. did that did that with um, um, oh god, why why was I, why is my memory blanking so much? The Cameron Weiss of Weiss yeah. Watches, which uh, up until about a year ago was Los Angeles based, but then they and he moved, moved to Texas, didn't he? Uh, to Tennessee, to Nashville. Tennessee, um, so they're based there, but those are amazing watches. Um, Cameron, amazing guy. Um, they fed off each other's energy. I loved it um, being a guest on there, but his watches are amazing. Um, and they're, he's, he's Swiss watch trained. Um, just, yeah. And he, and he loves vintage cars. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he has, he actually has an old school Land Rover. Does he? Yeah. Oh, and it's, oh man, it's, it's sweet. It's sweet. Does I it? love those. Love the defenders. But yeah. <laughs> It's funny because I, I, I don't love defenders or hate defenders, but obviously in the British army, we've got a lot of defenders and, uh, you have more yeah. experience. <laughs> most yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but I mean, I wouldn't say that the ones I've had experience with are necessarily well, well, I mean, uh, mechanically sound is, is what the engineers <laughs> tell me when I get I've them to look at them. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, that's cool. Um, there's some really cool shouts there actually as well. Like the, uh, the spoken time podcast and the watch and listen podcast is really good. I like that because Great. the watch yeah. and listen one was actually, uh, video as well so if you guys want to watch it yes. on youtube it's quite cool because they pull up references and you can see it on that as well which is really and good the, the episodes that, that i was guested on was this is in 2018 was episode 22 for seiko and episode 29 yeah. uh for hoyer so if you're doing your youtube search they'll pop yeah, yeah. up in- but they he they both covered a wide range they did um, yeah they I did i don't remember if they did military i don't think they did no they didn't they didn't they kind of like covered a little bit because obviously they kind of went brand specific or like complication yeah, specific yeah. and that was really cool but either way really good watch content there for for those who haven't seen it or heard it before so there you yeah, go yeah they, they they so matt there's kind of like two different seasons and matt did the first one and then and then it went to a second season and matt's yeah. not on the second season but maybe i'll reach out to cameron and propose that i feel like that is that's a, a hole that really needs to be plugged yeah uh, yeah it's a really it was really good really good series yeah, um in terms of uh closing notes now nick have you got any closing notes for my audience today 
Um, obviously, we're gonna, I'll, I'll put in a few of the other references in that we've just kind of waxed lyrical on there today. Sure. So stuff like, you know, uh, the Watch and Listen podcast and probably some of the, uh, the Talking Watchers episodes that we mentioned earlier as well. But is there any specific uh, closing notes for my audience? Yeah, two actually. And one, one will be non-watch and one will definitely be watch. Um, the first is the watch one. And that is just the, I'm just going to plug this. And I made a meme making fun of this the other day. There's a rampant inter- Instagram sc- scam going on right now where people, be, you'll get someone from uh account that follows you and it'll be like, hey, um, I need, can you help me out? I need you, I'm going to send you a link. Can you hit it and then screenshot it and send it back? Don't yeah. do this. This is what, what is happening is people are using that screenshot. I don't know how, but I know it's happening and they are using it to reset your account password and they will steal your damn account. Yeah. Do not do that. Uh, we get two or three of these a week now. And obviously they're targeting accounts that have a higher follow account. Um, we're up I, we're up to about 11K at this point, which is not a lot in the grand scheme of things, like the Kardashian level, but mm-hmm. it's like pretty much thing, it's, it's decent. Um, and they will steal the hell out of your account and you'll be shit out of luck. Cause I've had our account, I've dealt with Instagram people. It's horrific. Like yeah, they, but... they do not care. And it's no. taken weeks of frustration to get my account back online. Um, so be aware of that and don't fall yeah. for it. Um, there's, they'll steal your account and then they'll sell it to the highest bidder. And then the next thing you know, your account that you're locked out of will be hawking cryptocurrency or some yeah. stupid shit like that. So be aware of that. Um, the second thing is, um, and we talked about this briefly uh, before, before we started recording, but it is, um, you know, if you're interested in military, anything. And for me, like one of my bachelor's degrees is in, is in military history, which is is we're talking paradigm shifting thing for the longest time everyone lived in fear of the russian military now granted the the nukes are still something to live massively in fear i'm not saying don't fear that but as conventional force some force type stuff daily i'm shocked at the level of i mean i i have russian american customers this is i don't mean any insult but like the level of incompetence that the russian military has shown is just terrifying and Mm -hmm. like the main thing that I've, my main level of uh, news has been The Economist. And I understand The Economist from maybe European standards tends to be a bit conservative, but by American standards, unfortunately, it's very liberal. Uh, and I say, unfortunately, in that, like, it's shocking that whatever, you know, the Europeans think is conservative is actually pretty liberal by American standards. But The Economist is amazing. It's well-researched. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, they have, and this is for subscribers of The Economist, every Friday they have for the last couple of months, a military up, like a, actually it's not even military, a, an update on the situation in Ukraine. And I watch it every, I have to get up at 8 a.m. That's fine. It gives me a reason to wake yeah. up early, which it doesn't seem early for us military people, but uh, for me, it's early, thankfully. Um, but this most recent week, they talked about, they use synthetic aperture radar, which- Oh, I love a bit of SAR imagery. Yeah, SAR, for, yeah. The, for, the, you know, for us that are in the know, which is you and I. Um, and it's great, like they explained what SAR was, but they use it to um, estimate the level of damage and devastation in Maripol, which is, uh, you know, uh, for those of them paying attention, is surrounded by the Russian military right now and just been shelled just to a crazy level. And honestly, as a law of armed conflict by Geneva Conventions, it's illegal because it's collective punishment and you're, you're making civilians suffer, but I won't go into that. But they were able to use synthetic aperture radar. And the way that it works is that they were, they shot the radar beams down and 
the way that they're reflected back to the to the radar bird is different. If it's a smooth surface, which means not hit or beat the shit by like artillery or missiles or all, you know, um, versus you know a rough surface, which means rubble. And they were able to estimate, I think, 95% of residential areas have been devastated uh, by mm. shelling, uh, indirect fire, et cetera. But anyway, it's look at The Economist. It's great. Um, there's a few vetted, um, what I would say, Twitter accounts that use open source intelligence, mm -hmm. uh, OSN, for those of us in the know. Um, Oryx is one of them. Actually, The Economist, I love, has recently been citing Oryx. I followed Oryx since I broke down in the Syrian conflict. And they are they're they're good. Um, mm. Obviously, um, you have um, Bellingcat, yeah. uh, which the Russians, oh, the Russian government hates Bellingcat. Yeah, but they the, do. Bellingcat outed um, the fact that the Russians downed that Ukrainian um, civilian flight over the Ukraine a few years ago. Um, they they outed the um, the attempted assassination against uh, former KGB officer Scripple in in yep. the UK, which is that's a bit of a um, yeah, it was hard to believe that the Russia tried to kill someone on UK soil. That's that's pretty crazy. I uh, I actually uh, I returned to UK that year that happened, and I was actually yeah. post I was posted fifteen minutes from Salisbury. <laughs> I mean, this is the level that I mean, this even by Cold War standards, and again, me with my military historian background, uh, focused on the Cold War a lot because I'm old. But like, mm. and even then, that's yeah, that's that's a that's an escalation. I didn't think I would mm. see. Uh, no, but anyway, no. if you want a non-biased, in my opinion, look at, at from a military standpoint, particularly, the Oryx is great. Um, the Economist is amazing yep. coverage. Uh, yep. But that, that's my non-watch related uh, cool. note. Sorry for no, the long window. No, 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 it's cool. I like, I, I mean, the, the listeners on my podcast are well in a well-versed yeah. in long explanations because they have to listen to me every <laughs> other week. Um, if, uh, yeah. Go, go check out those those closing notes from Nick. Um, I've got one, actually, which I've just thought of, which is quite in line to The Economist. So if you find that maybe reading or listening or watching stuff from The Economist or that kind of level is just a little bit out of your depth um, in terms of just the language used, because sometimes the language is quite you know difficult to get into. Or I don't know about you, like sometimes I find that actually something quick and pithy and quite straight to the point is a lot better to get my point, uh, to get the point across and what I'm learning. Uh, especially because at the end of the day, it sounds really bad, but you also have your own life to live, live um, is, you know, in the way and, and your own kind of like uh, routine. I would suggest having a look at uh, the website called The Week. And I believe it does come from The Economist as well. Um, yeah. I used to subscribe to The Week. Um, and that, again, it literally is just a weekly update of everything around the world. Um, I used to get it. And in fact, if you're in, um, I know for the British military, you can actually get it. Um, through effectively through the education side of the military and you can actually get it for your unit as a subscription so your unit can be subscribed to the week um, and i believe as well the economist so there is a way for you to get hold of copies or at least the actual handheld you know the, the paper copies of of the uh, print copies of the uh, of of their media effectively for free um, you would have to check with your education center wherever you are based if you want to do that but if not like I said you know you can subscribe as nick said you know i believe the subscription is something like 2.99 a month or something in terms of pounds it's not a lot for the information and the relevance and you know the the detail and like you said the non-bias of the information that you're getting which is always good so go check those out 
um i've got the economist itself is what it's like 250 dollars us a year so 299 is good i think it's 299 for mobile i believe and it has that it does have its own app as well guys so so yeah go go check that out if you are that way inclined to keep up to date with current affairs um i've got two more um, random random question mm -hmm. how have you found the bbc's coverage of particularly the ukraine because i i personally i i've been a big fan of the bbc for decades but uh, i do your opinion i i, I would love to i mean it, it's good i think i think it's up to date and it, it is well balanced but i think from my background and obviously similar to your background i'm i've yeah. i'm so used to looking at multiple sources for everything to get my balanced um, I think I, I think I think I think for a singular source of reporting, as it were, I think it's as balanced as you could probably get. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. um, I, I do it's believe that there's certain it's elements. It's balanced in American media. I mean, yeah. no offense, but American media tends to skewer either way, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that's a good. But I think for the situation that we're seeing, I think you want balance. You know, which it's always good. But hundred percent. Yeah. You know, um, but I would say that. Um, it doesn't necessarily go into the level of detail that we we yeah. as a me and you would would want uh and and you those were yeah, uh, yeah and those are yeah. who are like-minded as us would want so but i think what is good about the bbc is that it gives you a good starting point so if you just want a very basic overview to explain it you know for example if you were to get into this kind of conversation over a beer with friends who aren't in our backgrounds or aren't military minded yeah. it's a yeah. good way yeah. for you to effectively word it in such a way that you can get it across at a coffee over a coffee or over a beer so that's always good um i've got two closing notes that are non, non watch related this this week actually please know guys so i've got one which is um a recent purchase so i literally have just upgraded um my sunglasses for the first time in about seven years i went for another pair of oakley's glasses and uh, if you are in the um in in the market for a new pair of sunglasses and you are willing to spend that kind of money on oakley's and you like that brand go check them out and i would highly recommend that you check out the prism line of lenses because they got basically a new way of obviously um effectively making the sunglasses lenses and what's really good is that they also give you the ability now that you can order prescription sunglasses lenses under the prism line as well which is really good um, but it's just the way that effectively it uh, balances out uh, the light spectrum that comes into your eyes and obviously there's different versions of the prism lenses for various activities and you should get them in all the different frames so i've just recently upgraded to those um, i think they're fantastic but again i also understand that they could be considered quite frivolous in terms of the price point that you're spending at and i know that there are other brands out there however from my experience of owning oakley sunglasses um you know i've basically had to up i've upgraded after seven years and i think seven years for one pair of sunglasses is actually pretty good so i'm quite content with that so there's one for you and then another one guys is a for the for those budding photographers out there because uh, I like to think that's uh, now something that I can kind of talk on is um, talk about lenses. So I've had a few people talking to me about camera gear and all that kind of stuff. And obviously this isn't kind of forum for it, but um, I recently bought a 50 mil lens for my camera setup and uh, they call it nifty 50. Effectively the millimeter spectral ranges have basically how the human eye sees um, without going too in depth with it. And the majority of 50 mil lenses alone are prime lenses. So it means that they don't zoom. Um, really good lenses for travel and portrait photography. So if you're into photography, if you are already a photographer and you haven't got one, um, or like I said, if you're just starting up and kind of want to breach that market away from 
camera phone and GoPro to a DSLR or even a mirrorless system, I'd tell you to have a look at whatever brand you shoot on to have a look at the 50 mil lens um, for whichever brand you're on, just because it's a good starting point for a generic lens that can cover a wide basis of photography. Um, so yeah, there you go. There are my closing notes. Nick, it's been absolutely fantastic mate, to have you on. I've really enjoyed our conversation, as you can tell from how long we've been speaking and like how we've bounced around topics. Um, I'd love to get you on again, actually, uh, in the future. Um, in fact, I definitely will get you on again in future. We'll bring up some other vintage topics and vintage watches that we can talk about um, on the podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, is there anything else that you want to say before we close out this episode? Consider that a yes. I'd love to come back. Um, it's <laughs> I've been doing so many of these podcasts. It's great to be able to narrow them down to the interests that really are passionate or are a passion mm -hmm. for me. I mean, obviously the watches, but you do the military or do the, like the automotive, like love that. And so, yeah, I, I would come back hundred um, percent. No, thanks for having me. Um, uh, yeah, no, that, that's really all I got. Uh, check us out online. Um, yeah. Gleeman, happy days. All right, yeah. guys, look forward to the next that was a charger, guys. It's just dropped. It's fine. Not the end of the world. Um, look forward to the next episode of Zulu Time Podcast. We're highly likely to return with the second part of the micro brand slash independent watch brands with uh, Mark over at Jana Watch. And if I don't return with that episode, it's going to be another interview episode. Um, which I've got pending, uh, but it's literally just down to dates and availabilities. But either way, there will be another episode um, out in due course. And like I said um, at the very beginning of the episode, hopefully this is a rebirth for the Zulu Time podcast to become a more regular uh, recording and release. Until then, guys, take care, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.